I'm Garrett McQueen. I'm Scott Blankenship. And this is Triloquy, true and real stories from the fringes of classical music. You came back. Thank you for, for our first interview episode. It's here. <laughs> so uh, the I, there's a really cool story surrounding um, my relationship with Marion, who uh, is featured in this episode. So before... Um, I worked for American Public Media. The very first time I came to Minnesota was to sub with the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, um, one of the many orchestras I've subbed with across the country. I'm mm-hmm. I'm out here, Scott. Yeah, I'm on these streets, and um, and in uh, at that performance, at one of those performances, um, Marion uh, was in attendance, and he thought it was so dope that he looked up on the stage and saw somebody black. I mean, is there? An experience like that you can speak to. Most of the folks at a at an orchestra concert are white, so maybe there was a white rapper that just you know maybe oh you just got it all off when Ice Cube came out or Ice Vanilla Ice. See, he's not even in my mind. I can't even <laughs> think of you know whatever year that was, 1990, 1991. I bet you you just had a field day, didn't you? What do you mean I had a field day? <laughs> Say I'm, more. I'm just trying to speak to the excitement. A person feels by seeing themselves represented in um, in a field where they usually don't see themselves. Oh, that's that's a good point. Um, I I think the messenger really matters in an instance like this too. I don't think the Vanilla Ice was the best <laughs> exponent. Uh, let's let's go back a little deeper. The Beastie Boys were probably you know yeah uh, um, a a more true representation of of white people in, in hip hop. So when, and you were there when the Beastie Boys came out, did you feel as, did you feel a certain kind of way the first time you saw that or heard of them? You were like, oh wow, white boys rap too. Absolutely. Well, you see, the thing was, is that they were doing their own version of it. There was still electric guitars. Um, the, the drum kit was real, you know? And, so it was a rock band just with rap influence right, is how you saw it. Right. And, um, but yeah, I, I mean, that, that touches on something that's really, uh, key in your talk with Marion is the fact that if you see someone that looks like you doing something, then in your mind you go, oh, okay, so this is, it's cool for me to like this, or it's yeah. cool for me to be involved or moved by it or something like that. And it turned out to be more than him just being pleasantly surprised. He reached out on social media once I uh, actually moved here to, excuse me, once I actually moved here to Minnesota, he um, reached out and, and we hang out. We're homies. So, you know, I thought, you know, who better to to be the first um, subject for a Triloquy, you know, center the first conversation around Marion. And uh, and we talk about a lot of really um you know, really important things, including what it means to go to an HBCU. So was the that's con- historically black college and universities, right? Right. So okay. so was was an HBCU. I mean, I'm sure an HBCU experience wasn't in your periphery, you know, growing up. And when it came time for you to think about where you wanted to go to college. But did you even have a concept about historically black colleges and universities? Not at all. Why not? Do no. why, why do you think that is? Uh, I grew up in the Midwest, and I was also the first person in my entire family tree to go to college. And so there wasn't a framework to follow. You know, I, I didn't know what was available. It's, it was ignorance more than anything. And, it's, just, really, and it's really interesting because as, um, as important as HBCUs are to black communities, I wasn't pushed toward that tradition either because my parents didn't uh, graduate from college and, and, and couldn't really speak to the significance of college A versus college B or whatever, much less the significance of attending an HBCU. So in many ways, I feel like that, you know, an opportunity was sort of uh, systemically, if not generationally, taken from me just because, you know, and in, in my family, the resources and the experiences weren't there to lead me to that. Yeah. And resources. I, and, and when I think about people who have gotten the opportunity to go to HBCUs, I think about, you know, how lucky they are and, and, and how incredible it must be to, you know, go to your classes every every day or whatever with teachers that can speak to your experiences or, or classmates that can speak to your experiences. It's so important. And it's even 
reach the um you know the 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 popular music um conversation with Beyonce coming out with um her homecoming documentary about her HBCU band styled performance at um Coachella last year. Yeah. We're actually missing it right now. Uh, a, a, a broadcast <laughs> of it here up up here at our job. Um we're missing it to record this, but be, but Beyonce know we love her and I've already watched it I'll probably 11 times now. I'll watch it again when I go home to to make up. <laughs> Uh, but, How do you, so you, but you went to some prestigious institutions as well, and and on, on your own steam, nobody was putting out extra money or, or uh, you know, slipping envelopes anywhere for you to get in. You did I can, yeah, all I can, of this on your own. I, I can brag about uh, you know going to USC all day, but you know the 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 HBCU grads brag about going to those schools for a different reason. You know, if if someone wants to talk about how important they are because they went to Harvard or Yale or something, it's for different reasons than a person who is proud to be a graduate of FAMU or or Howard or or Fisk or mm-hmm. or, or, or one of these other black institutions. Um, you know, I'll mention that aren't just important because they're black, but important from among many reasons, because they push forward black music. Some of the some of the most um, important parts of musical blackness, if you will, comes from these HBCUs, as as Beyonce laid out in in her homecoming performance, her Coachella performance, and as um, Marion sort of lays out in our conversation. One of the many things we talk about. Uh, do you think things would have ended up drastically different for you if you did attend an HBCU? Absolutely, absolutely. In what respect? Um, you know, things are, things are shifting, but I would still say that, you know, going to an HBCU isn't a orchestral path or it wasn't the orchestral path that Mm -hmm. I was looking for. And, and I always get so careful when I have these conversations because I didn't not go to an HBCU because I wanted to be a classical musician. I didn't go to an HBCU because I had no concept of, of going to one, you know. Um, so in retrospect, you know, and in, in, in attending the conferences I attend and um, and sort of facilitating some of the conversations surrounding race and classical music, lately the conversation of black kids interested in classical music uh, as a career, you know, is the possibility there for uh for that to be an HBCU experience they have. And, and the opera, you know, you can make anything out of anything, but, you know, the world's great teachers, even the ones that are black, are not yet teaching at the HBCUs. And, and that's just one of the, the many challenges of, 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 of studying music, you know, at the historically black colleges and universities. So, yeah, I, I think I would have still been a musician of some sort, maybe a music teacher or, or mm. outside of... I've, the the whole genre of classical period. Um, there's no way that my life wouldn't have been different. But you know, here we are. I, I'm 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 I, I don't. And you know, Scott, this is a conversation that I that I struggle with a lot with, within myself sometimes. Um, because you know, as thankful as I am for my teacher, you know, my first teacher was black. You know, mm-hmm. uh, shout out to Lacoli in Washington. Um, but yeah, I, I just can't help but to think how different my college experience would have been at an HBCU. With all of that being said, my undergrad, uh, my, my bachelor's degree comes from the University of Memphis, which because Memphis is a mostly black city, you know, the school is is mostly black, it, at least the folks I was around. So mm-hmm. it's not that I had a traditional PWI, predominantly white institution, undergraduate experience, but I also just did not have that experience rooted and focused in blackness. And um, I'm oftentimes sorry that I didn't. Well, let me ask you this, because another uh, another thing that I think is important that you touch on with Marion is access. Yeah. Um, and that, that starts before the college years. Right. So like, well, let, let's go all the way back. Um, did you start in grade school as a musician or did you have to wait until junior high? Yeah, I started playing the flute um, and the bassoon in, in seventh grade. So. For me, that was middle school. So what was your experience in grade school? Did you have any contact with music? I was a singer. You want to hear me do some singing? What do you want to lay no, out? No, nothing nothing today. <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I was mainly a, a singer as a, as a kid. And then when I hit middle school, that's when I transitioned into um, being an instrumentalist. I guess when my voice dropped a little bit, 
it was game over. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had the same problem. Mm. Um, so my question is, um, do you think that uh, there would be more people of color in classical music if access was better, was um, uh, shopped to these students rather than uh, saying that you need to discover this on your own? Unequivocally. But along with that conversation, I can't help but to ask myself what would be, you know, what, what, would, what would it look like if, you know, black kids um, in grade school, middle school, high school, and then leading up into the potential of going to HBCUs, you know, how would all of of music look different if we really had the resources in place for those kids? You know, I think, you know, when it comes to me personally, I think would I have gone into, you know, music production like so many people have become millionaires off of you know just writing beats sure would, would i have stuck to my original plan of of being a, a music teacher you know it's 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 more than just you know diversifying this field that is white when we talk about hbcus it's cultivating black students from you know our culture and from our voices and 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 from our history and there's no way to really lead to classical music the way we think about it and the way we see it today from that um from, from that foundation and it's it's one of my one of my many challenges when i when i think back about about my journey and mm. and would that have been a better look for me would it have been you know better for me to to end up where I've ended up now. You know, you can, if, what do they say? If ifs and buts were candy and nuts, every day would be Christmas. Have you ever heard that one? <laughs> every day would be into Dunkerfest. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, so, so yeah, we, we could spend all day uh, talking about that. But all in all, I think, you know, the celebration and the maintenance of our HBCUs is is highly important amongst one of the most important things that we should be talking about these days, period. What about the audience's relationships with these bands from HBCUs? So the music is is directly tied to the culture. So if we were, if you and I were to go to a, an HBCU Battle of the Bands today, I would probably know all of the songs. I, I would know everything they're playing because that music just sort of exists in the culture. Um I can go as far as to say that those HBCU bands are paying more attention to to now than um, than traditional classical music uh, tends to, um, but with that focus comes a price. So many of those students, uh, as it is today at the HBCUs, after they have that band experience, they either um, become band directors that you know can continue to. Um, to um, propel that that tradition and that culture into the future, which is very important, um, or they don't end up in music uh, at all, at least not right. professionally. Yeah. And that's and that's a story um, for Marion. We talk about a lot. We we talk a lot about how um, the the post collegiate resources aren't necessarily there. The options um, aren't there, and 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 you know it's. I wonder what it's going to look like when we when we start to change that. And I'll bring up Beyonce again because you know she's 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 pulled popular attention toward the HBCUs and the musical tradition that lives there. So so maybe in the maybe in the future there'll be you know something more for um, for graduates, music graduates uh, specifically from these institutions to to move to move on to. When you played the intro to Homecoming for me over at my house, and then we hit Lift Every Voice, mm. and you said, now this is this is the, the black national anthem. Yeah, the, the, this ne was, the Negro national anthem. This, this was brand new on me. And that so, was shocking to me, actually. And why is that? Because I just thought it was something that everyone knew. Okay, so there's, a, there's something we can break through. Yeah. Uh, what else do you hope that somebody would pull from not only watching Homecoming with Beyonce, but listening to your conversation with Marion Dooley? Oh, uh, you know, that, again, what do we talk about on this podcast? You know, uh, true and real stories from the fringes of classical music. This is a classic music. This is a classical music, music performed in a classic style that a lot of people just don't know exists. 
and um and it's and it's really important it, it's important to um the experience of so of countless uh hbcu football lovers you know and and thousands and thousands of of musicians who who made that possible as well as dancers as well as arrangers writers everything yeah. that goes into that it's 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 an art form that we protect um, because we don't want it to be gentrified, as it were. Right, uh, but right. it also deserves um, co-opted. attention. Co-opted, right? Yeah. Uh, but but it but it deserves uh, attention. And um, and I was so glad um, to have Marion on to sort of uh, talk about that. Uh, what what else do we talk about? You, you're the, you're the one who uh, <laughs> did all the editing and button pushing on, on what I got there. Um, I was. We talked about gig culture. Yeah, I was really interested to find out what his experiences were as far as playing live, uh, and he's primarily a jazz man, right? Right, a jazzman. <laughs> um, so um, there is a lot of effort. There's a lot of work to put together what is going to be played at, yeah. at whatever event. Um, and the fact that, wait until you guys hear the and we're, and we're talking about the gigs at this point. Right, yeah. right. Just wait until you hear about how he was paid for one. It just blew my mind that that even happens in the first place. And, you know, that, that brings me uh, once again back to the conversation of HBCUs. You know, I had, I, I've, I've definitely played my fair share of BS gigs, uh, but... You know, in my collegiate experience, I was given the tools to break out beyond that. And what I understand from Marion is that he was not afforded those tools. So, Mm. uh, again, you know, I I tiptoe so much when it comes to the conversation of HBCUs because I believe in them. And and I think they're really important. I wish, you know, oftentimes I wish I had attended one. I just think we need to make sure that we're we're offering the resources to those students that they deserve, which in turn um, manifest in more options, especially when it comes to music students at these HBCUs. As we get into the interview section here with Marion Dooley, I want to point out something about this podcast that's a little bit different that I really love mm-hmm. and I think really enhances the overall sound. You and I are in a studio when we have our talk leading up to the interview, but these are field interviews. Okay, so these are non-traditional spaces that the interview are being conducted in in a, in a rather non-traditional way facilitated by you. And I think that you really pull some uh, honest answers that wouldn't be obtained in the confines of a studio. Well, think, so, of, think, think about how uncomfortable the concert hall is for, for so many people versus a living room. And that's just, I, I think it speaks to that. You know, yeah. Marion and I had had whiskey in hand uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just kind of just talking like 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 we would if the if the mics were off. Uh, had my big fat gold chain around my neck, which actually is. Oh, that's uh, how you lead in. Is, is how we led in, you know, talking about how, you know, we black folk love to shine and bling as much as we can, um, both physically and uh, musically. So check out my chat with uh, Marion Dooley. You know, we, we like to we like to show off. It's that, you know, we have the we haven't had it mentality. Not a lot of us have. So, you know, like, you know, especially professional athletes, they come from places that, you know, they don't have a lot. Yeah. So you get, you know, you can afford a $20,000 chain. Why not? And, you know, I think about I think about that when it comes to music, because, you know, a lot of these parents can can buy that ten thousand dollar cello or that ten thousand dollar bassoon. But, you know, you know, the streets I come from, you know, I was, and I was just thinking about that. I was talking to a friend of mine today. Um, she's actually an opera singer and she's black. She's in D.C. What's her name? Um, Nakia Varner. Oh, shout out to Nakia. Yeah, she um, she and she's pretty dope, I must say. Uh we're, you know, she said, you know, she admitted the bubble she lives in there, you know, black musicians and black people playing classical music and singing and stuff like that. But I was like, where I'm from, it's not really accessible. You know, even when I was coming up, I wanted to play all of, all instruments under the sun, but I didn't have access to these I things. I mean, but it did happen. Yeah, it happened, but it's just not, you know, for the, you know, for the, for the most part, we don't have access to it. You know, who has... I want a new French horn. I don't have three grand to go out and blow on one, you know. Yeah. But, but somebody does, though, you know. Well, t- well, tell me how you went from like total non-access to where you are now, to where you do have access, and you've been to school for music. And so, so what was what was that middle area where it turned into wow, I have access? Well, it started when I got to college. Basically, I mean, I 
Well, let, let's go back to high school. So my last year of high school, uh, we didn't have a band at the school I went to. So they offered they offered free lessons. So I started taking sax lessons, and then I got to college and I kept playing. So then after college, I kept playing, and then you know I got kind of deeper into it after that, and then I you know I discovered that hey, I want to try something else, and then I got into different instruments and things like that. But the older I got, then I could semi afford it. That's how. Well, you know, as a kid, I didn't have you know. 12, 1500, 12, 1500, two grand to go spend on a, on a new instrument. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's those school years, especially middle school, because where I'm from, it was, you know, uh, seventh grade, some sixth, but most seventh grade when they started. And just, just, that is such a pivotal moment. And you're making me think about, you know, some of my middle school teachers, you know, shout out to Ron Turner. You know, I wouldn't be sitting here if, if it weren't for his beginning band class. Those need to be some of the best. That, need, that needs to be what we're putting the most focus on, those teachers and those programs that, um, shout out to my, my air freshener, sorry. <laughs> uh, those teachers that begin this road for so many people, but it's, it's, it seems like it's, it's the middle school teachers we don't care about. Well, because they, they took a lot of it out of the schools, you know, especially in the inner cities and, you know. Is, is that the case uh, here in well, St. Paul? Yeah, a lot of, in a lot of schools, it's, especially here, it's not really, you know, band isn't really a thing. You know, but the further out you go, you know, you have these big, massive band programs and they have all, you know, just like the football team has money as a booster club, the band has a booster club. You don't have that in the city. I mean, but it's true. It's real. Yeah. And you so, know, you know, like I said, when, even when I started playing, when I started playing saxophone, I got laughed at. Oh, you, you know, you band nerd or band, whatever. Exactly. But when I got to college, the band nerds were the ones that were like, you know, oh, you're, you're in the band. What? Then I will come home and get laughed at. That's a, that must be a a non-southern thing because being in the band. I mean, you know, you know the the HBCUs. Being in the band, that's one of the school's teams. Yeah, you know, like, I so mean, so we saw that in school. It wasn't a nerd thing. We practice more than the football team. And and but you but you're still the nerd. You're still yeah. The, my friends. So my friends would get my friends would get mad. They would not necessarily get mad. So. I get, you know, get back to the dorm room after practice. Yeah. I'd be like, where'd you guys go? We went to the movies. Oh, but you couldn't wait. No, you were at band practice. So I missed out on stuff. But, you know, it was worth it. It was band. It was but fun. see, that's why you need to... See, I would hang out with the band kids. So we were getting out of, you know, practice together. And then we would go to the movies or whatever. But see, they they were a little bit different. You know, my experience was totally different than, like, the, the, the typical band kid. Right. I didn't have band growing up. I see. Yeah, so, you know... So um, so it was okay. So anyway, so back to college. It yeah. was the band uh, folks that was drinking and smoking no, they, and carrying. Oh, they did the most. Oh, and and you went down the, with I, that. I, I wasn't that. I wasn't down with that back then. You know? Good for you, because because so, I was doing all that. Now I will say, <laughs> my freshman year, we went to Houston, where and and we stayed at. I think it was a Ramada, and I got drunk off a whole bottle of Bones Fire. Okay, let's get back to the music because you wildin'. <laughs> I'm just saying, but so that was my first, you know, my first. But, but that's real, your, like, that's yeah. your band experience, yeah, right? But that's I a wasn't, part of it. So you know, for me, it was a lot different. You yeah, know, my band experience, but 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 what were you? What were was your goal? What were you looking for in being in the band and, and studying music in back, college? Back then, I don't know because it was it was still new to me. You know, yeah. I didn't I didn't know I didn't really get into jazz until my senior year of high school. That just it was not something you it were. It wasn't, you know, I grew up in a house with you know, with soul and you know, I listened to hip hop and R and B and all of that but stuff. The, but but all that comes from jazz, you know. I know, but when you're not really taught about, you know, Coltrane and Bird and all those people, yeah, you know, I know I knew Johnny Taylor was because that's who my daddy listened to, but you know, I didn't know, you know, I didn't I really hadn't been introduced to Bach and all these, you know, yeah, classical and, and jazz at the same time. So, but what was what was your, but again, what was your goal for even studying music in college? Like, let's say your second or third year, you're still doing music. Were you trying to be a teacher? Were you trying to be? A well, performer? no. So what happened was, I was actually I was going to be a I was a double major at one point. I was a music education and business major, but then I left school and came back, and I just stuck to business. Yeah, which okay. a big part of me is it's a regret because. Like, it's music is such a big part of me, and I wish I would have just stuck to that. But the biggest thing I wanted to do, I wanted to be a performance major. We didn't have that, and you know, if I could, there are things that I would do differently. And and, and remind me what school you went to, Langston University. Yeah, and 
And, and that's a, a discussion that uh, me and my people have been having a lot uh, when I go to conferences and, uh, and work on these different committees is, you know, when are we going to get these performance-based programs, these, you know, orchestral training programs at the HBCUs? I mean, think about the experience it would be to, you know, dig in, dig in deep into, you know, William Grant Still and Florence Price and these other black composers at an HBCU. That would be profound. It would be. But when I was when I was an undergrad, it was all about marching band and concert band. And jazz band and those things were an afterthought. I'm, I'm forgetting that, that that that's the case. At, yeah, they were an afterthought. Those, yeah. Now, I spent two years at a community college here when I came home. Uh-huh. That community band slash concert band. Here. 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 In uh, St. Paul. Oh, no, I was in Bloomington. I went to Normandale. Okay. Out in Bloomington. And that was one of the best musical experiences I ever had. Like, we... So, I mean, they were, you know, older, like, older people. When I say older people, they could barely hear you talk. Yeah. <laughs> you say, hey, Bob, what? Shout and out they, to them. Shout out yeah, to them, but though. You, you play the wrong note, and they would tell you about it. <laughs> and I'll never forget, um, we had an older gentleman named Percy Hughes who played, uh, to play alto. And I knew a little bit about Percy, but Percy was, like, the, the kindest... One of the kindest people I've ever met, and um, when I years later I got to know about who Percy really was, and he was kind of like a jazz pioneer, a black jazz pioneer in the, in the Twin Cities here, and I was like, man, that's I was in the same same group with this guy, you know, and it changed it just changed me musically. So when I went back to school, you know, it was it was a lot different, you know, how I viewed musicianship and how they viewed it, you know, and a black and a lot of black bands it's screaming and being loud. You know, it's not like, you know, being precise. Still, be you can still have you know be loud, but be good. You're, you know, be, you're, you're doing it. You're you're really hitting on something that I wasn't, you know, prepared to really think about. But, you know, any any black musician who has any proximity to that culture knows that to be true to some oh, extent. Yeah. But you, I mean, but some of these HBCUs sound really great. Oh I no, mean, like like FAMU is legendary. Yeah, you have Jackson State. Who the first time I ever heard Jackson State play? Yeah, I was like, I mean, it, it was like I felt it like all in my chest. I was like, wow, and it's crazy because you know I watch a lot of football, so I watch college football, and I'll and I'll hear we. There's a song you you you've heard Neck talking out the side of course, of you. yeah, yeah. So that's like a black band, yeah. black college a band, state, yeah. That's that's our yeah. Beethoven five, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so you, I hear I hear you know Auburn's band playing it right, and you're like, it sounds good, like technically it sounds great, but there's no soul behind it. You know, there's like there's no like, and that's the that's the component that you yeah, think is missing in that. the teaching of it. Well, no, just. Or just in the general culture of it, it's, yeah, like, it's just more about the loud yeah, and the yeah. But well, here's the thing: if you know, there's certain songs that, that need that 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 fire behind them. Yeah, there's certain songs that you know when you hear a white band playing them, like you hear a PWI, and you're like, you shouldn't be playing that song right now. But you hear you PWI, know, predominantly white yeah. institution. Sorry about that. But yeah, you hear you hear them play certain things that we we traditionally play, and you're like, that just doesn't sound good. It sounds good, but it's not like. It's not like you you know it should or how it should sound, you know. And you just accept it anyway. <laughs> not really, because I, I talk about it. You know, um, man, th this is really something for me to be thinking about this, you know, because uh, that reminds me a lot of my, of my high school marching band experience. By the time I was a junior, senior in high school, you know, it was a predominantly black school. Like, Craig Mott was a black school, you know, yeah. but the culture of the band just was not yet rooted in that uh, tradition. So, you know, when we would go play some of these, you know, schools in the hood, um, you know, their bands, based on our training and, and what we're taught uh, good music to be, quote unquote, you know, says that they just didn't sound as good, but it often looked like they were having a, a lot, lot more fun. fun right? Now, that I will say, we had a lot of fun <laughs> doing what we did. I, you know, and I can say that I... I was lucky to have, you know, band, a band director and assistant band directors that like really valued the sound. We but we still had fun doing it. Like it was fun, you know. And it, it, what you said reminds me of uh, uh what was the Nick Cannon movie? Uh, Drumline. Drum Drumline. Line. Shout out to Drumline. Yeah, Line. Listen, when when, when, listen. when uh, Dr. Lee, you yes. know, had him playing Fight of the Bumblebee. And you know, but he that, also had a plan coming to America, so he was trying to be culturally. He was, you know, he was but you but know, it was from from the older school yeah. and an eighteen year old drummer's head, you know, yeah, like, who has yet to marry Mariah Carey. <laughs> this is true. This is true. 
or or Zoe Saldana in the movie, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I I get it, but at the same time, I mean, and I try not to look at things through that lens. Like, it it doesn't sound good because I know you know sometimes, I mean, I've I've heard pop records that like have have all kinds of inaccuracies in them. Of course, but yeah. you still feel it. Like if you go listen to the police, you know, um, I'll be watching you. There's a messed up chord all through it, but they didn't correct it. And it was like, that's the beauty. But of that's it. just the part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of, hold on. Shout out to the, uh, to the, to the. I don't want to, I don't want to give Scott that headache. And this is like a, this is, this street right here is like a major truck route. Yeah. Like, uh, like the, I'm trying to sleep during the day. I got to be up all night hosting classical music. And, um, the the eighteen wheeler from Whole Foods is coming through here. It seems like it should be a, yeah. anyway. Um, you know, with these black bands, quote unquote. Well, and, and it seems like even calling them black bands is accurate. Oh yeah, no, because everything's black. <laughs> I mean, and uh, bottom, I, right? I mean, of course, there's. You know, there's. It seems like there's always the white guy in the band, and he getting it oh, too. Oh, we had a couple. He getting it too. Look, we see. You know, black bands. We had we had crab names. When you come in, you're a crab. You know, your first yeah. year band student. Yeah, which was taught to us through Drumline, yeah. the movie. <laughs> yeah, and so that was a real thing. But, you know, we had names. So I was Red from Friday. So every time somebody be like, Red, what's wrong? I have to stand up and say, my grandmama gave me that chain. Hey, you do remember? Yeah. And hey, so, we were talking about chains. I don't never chuck my, uh, tuck my chain. I know you don't. But, <laughs> but no, we, so we had, we, had a, we had a couple white guys. Yeah. Um, and one of them was Shaggy because he, he looked like Shaggy. Oh, uh, yeah. For, he looked from, Off from of, uh, Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo, yeah. yeah. But you know, it's like but but it's the but the culture and the tradition and everything about it is just black. But beside the fact that maybe a black person didn't invent the mellophone, yeah. you know, the piccolo, but but we made it our own. And the thing I like about it is is it's like when when they come into that situation, into yeah. our situation, they have no choice but to assimilate. You know, they have to because it's not like you know you're not walking into the band room at OU. But I know a lot of people who came from core style bands, though. And, and and then when they got to Langston, they still had they had a switch. I went, did they have a problem switching? Or they were, they were good. I don't they think they Gucci. really had it. I don't think because they there's really, choreography. Yeah. There's, you know. Yeah, I I once wheezed through a whole uh, homecoming halftime show. Yeah, I'm asthmatic, so. Oh well, shout out to everybody out there playing the instrument that has asthma. Yeah. Y'all y'all the heroes. Yeah. Especially the brass players and the piccolo players. You know, it takes more breath to use the piccolo than the tuba. Yeah. And I was I was on the piccolo line. I'm really, <laughs> um, I'll never forget we played at the Honda Battle of the Bands in 05. And this is I had never been in front of that many people in my life. It were like and we had a, there was an ice storm the day before. But the so they moved it. It was supposed to be on a Saturday, it moved to Sunday. There were still like sixty thousand people at the dome. And because come, that's what you do. I know, but you come out, your heart's beating. You know, you don't want to mess up and be on the big screen and be the one falling. So that so that just gets your asthma going you know, anyway. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. my section leader was over here about to pass out. I'm over here having, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I have a lot of great memories from being in in, in marching band in college. Man, so. it's, something how, it's something how we got there. So, um, you know, marching band throughout college, graduation day, college graduation day. Yeah. What, what, what did you think? the the next little time would look like. Did you think music would be a part of it? I didn't know because there I I kind of when I when I got home from school I had kind of given stop playing because I didn't know exactly what you just didn't have that the drive to the, keep the, or what what the next step would even look like. Yeah, and then I started. I was like, oh, I'm gonna go to an open mic. Mind you, I had really never done improvis improvisation or anything like that. So you got so you so. Like being a teacher or being any other kind of performer never really was. No, it was like you graduate from college, go get a job. Yeah. And now I look back, I really wish music would have been the focus because you know some people are good with you know being you know with their hands. They like to build stuff. Yeah. They like to you know work on cars. I would much rather you know make music all day or That's... you know teach less. Not saying that I would. I don't think I could. I could be a band director. But but teaching, but, but there's the, so much more, you know. Yeah, but I mean, you know, teaching on the side and performing that type of thing. But you know, when I got home from school, it was I got a job at Walgreens. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it for me it sounds like you're saying that, you know, just the oppor the opportunity or at least the option was just never really made yeah. clear to you in college. Well, no, even, even growing up though, like you know, it, 
the extent of it for us was, oh, you know, this is back when people actually had to learn to know how to rap. Yeah. I want to rap. You know, and so for me, hip hop was like the entry into music for me, if you get what I'm saying. Right? I mean, for, for so many of us, but man, but I, I still think I had a concept of like what an orchestra was. And I guess I didn't realize that you could make like a living living off of it. But yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess you're right. Because of course we would have a different, you know, perspective on that from someone whose parents were in an orchestra, you know, yeah. or, were, you know, so my, even my siblings, you know, are gonna, you know, when they, when, when they have kids, they're going to, you know, have a perspective on a career in music, you know, especially classical music that, uh, uh, that we didn't have growing up for sure. I wonder, uh, you know, I, I wonder if that could, I, I wonder what that's going to do for classical music or, you know, music education or whatever in the future. You know, just the fact that it's in the periphery for black people more than it was even for us. Yeah, no. Like, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I'll try to encourage my kids to do whatever, you know, if you look, if you want to be a writer, you can be a writer. If you want to, if you want to play, and if you want, if you feel like you want to be a world class pianist, we'll, we'll make it happen. But you know, growing up, like I said, I didn't, I wasn't given the option, you know, and I didn't, I didn't, ha I didn't really create a space for me to do to do these things until I became an adult because I had a choice. And, and you know, and you do have kids, so I mean, yeah. so it, you don't, you don't say that as a hypothetical. Yeah, like, no, like if, if, hey, Dad, I want to, you know, like I want to play guitar. Okay, well, we'll get you a guitar. I just, to me. It's it's being encouraging and, and giving them that that you know that option. Like if you want to do it, we'll make it. You know, we'll make a way for you to do it. Yeah. And you know, and I, look, I love my mom and dad, but you know, I it just didn't happen, and that's fine. So let's fast forward to uh, November of 2017. Uh, I come here to Minnesota to St. Paul for the first time to sub with the SPCO. Um, and you come to that concert. Yeah. So how, how did that happen? So uh, a friend of mine uh, plays flute in, uh, in, in, in the SBC. Oh, Alicia's your homegirl. Yeah, oh, shout out girl. to Alicia. Yeah, Second so, flute. So, yeah, Alicia yeah, gives me, SPCO. like, so she, so she just happened to be like, you want tickets tonight? I was like, sure. I don't normally turn down tickets. If I got time, if I have the time, I'll go. And, you know, she pretty has, she usually has pretty, pretty nice seats. So, it's, you know. Yeah. How do you know her? Um, just, you know, around, and we met... Off the streets, yeah, just around on the streets, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she, she's, she's real cool, like, she's, you know, she's pretty Yeah, she pretty is. Dope. Yeah, she, she got me on uh, yeah. with SBC. Yeah, I'm it was crazy, I need to so I, I got there, and I was like, wait a minute. I didn't, I didn't know you were performing that night. So you, so so you saw a brother know, on yeah, stage. I was like, wait a minute, I think, I think I... And I, you know, we were Facebook friends at that time, so I, I knew, I knew who you were, but I hadn't seen you in person. And I don't know how we were Facebook friends. I think just one of those things, oh... We had we played music and oh yeah, yeah yeah so, but it was dope to see you up there. So, well, th well, thank yeah, you. And, and, but 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 what but what does that mean? I mean, like, go, go further it, it with was that to see somebody who looks like you. Yeah, you know, on stage playing. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of bug out when I when I go to think when I go to a concert, and I see like black musicians. Yeah, playing things because I'm I'm used to it. I mean, I've been in, I was in, I was in a concert band, and. I'll never forget. We were in rehearsal, and we're talking about some fundraiser. And the all I concert hear, band in college. No, no, this was here. It was like okay. oh right, band. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I hear like somebody talking at the back of my head. Let's make sure we're not playing any rap music. And I feel like it was uh. the most racist thing they could have said that time, at that time. So I feel like we're not always welcome in these spaces. And to see, <laughs> so when here you, we go. Yeah. So no, I'm saying. So when I saw you up there, I was like, oh, that's dope. And he's and he's getting it. And, he, and he, you know, and and I, you know, and I feel like I walk in, and I get you know the, the old white folks look at you like what are you, you know I'm sitting next to like a ninety I swear like a ninety year old couple and it's just me and she was and they were side eyeing you kinda but then it's but then there have been times where like during intermission they they'll talk to you and then they get they're like oh he's kind of he's actually kind of cool so then you know yeah 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 but it takes yeah. for that to happen most of the time you know. They're just they can be ignorant. I had taken my Alicia had gotten me tickets when they they had a performance out on, on on Grant No on Summit. It was a big church on Summit. Okay, that's right over here, you know. Yeah, it's further down. It's like right right before you get to Victoria, but it's like right in there. Okay, so I took my daughter, and so we're leaving out, and this old white lady walks up to her and goes, "Hi, 
I'm so glad to see you here. And we're like, and she looked at me and I looked at her and she she was like, oh, I don't know you. She was like, no. And it's like, they do things like that. Like they don't expect us to be in these spaces and it's not, you know, like they can move within any space that we have and we accept them. I mean, you know, whether you, the white folks at the hip hop show, that's fine. You know, you got folk, white folks singing R&B. That's cool. But we move into a space that you think that we shouldn't be in. And, you know, we get the side eyes and the, and the you know, the snarky comments and, you know, the things like that. And I can only imagine what you've gone through because, I mean, you're a pro's pro. You, you've been doing this for, you know, forever. And, you know, you probably played some everywhere. So you've probably experienced some of everything. So I can only imagine. That kind of, you know, it really, it kind of hurts my feelings to hear you say that. Why? It's not. It's not that I don't disagree with any of it because I've I've definitely you know felt that even even you know as someone on the stage, not even in the audience, um, but to hear it from, you know, a predominantly audience perspective, you know, just it seems like it makes it a little more real or something. No, it is. I mean, even um, a few couple years back, I had went to. Uh, Orchestra Hall in Minneapolis, and um, I had we had we had front row tickets. I'll never forget. For the record, I don't I don't ever suggest sitting on the front row of an orchestra concert. But these were free tickets. Okay, and this yes, was fine, my, th- fine. They were free. Fine. I wasn't going to turn them down. Yeah. So we're sitting there, and the guy next to us. I mean, he you know he's. I was on a date, and we we look we looked really nice that night. We both got super dressed up. This yeah. was a date, you know, date night. Yeah. We're, you know, we're looking fly. She and I'm sure that really impressed her, yeah. you know, taking her to the orchestra oh, yeah. well, she front had, row. Like, she had on a black dress. I had on, you know, I had on a little suit. Yeah, you know. come on. And this guy looks like he just got done cutting grass. Smelled like it, too. But he's looking at me like I shouldn't be here. Damn. So anyway, so, you know, the, the, the musicians come out on stage, and there's this, this, uh, this, this black girl playing. And I was like, what? She's not in the program. I think she, she might be like a... a, a, a a sub, I'm not sure. And I'm in my mind I'm bugging out because I'm like, oh my God. Like this is a, this isn't something that you expect to see. You know, I've seen I and I've been I've been to some some performances in my life and but when you know when you go to a, a place like a space like that, you don't expect to see that. You know. So I mean it was it was pretty dope. I mean but But you had to deal with other people's preconceived notions yeah. about you, despite the fact yeah. that, that you're dressed nice and. But that's just life in general. I mean, I feel like you know. So the so so the orchestra the orchestra hall is not separate from. No, it's like you know it, it's, the outside. It, it's kind of rep- it's 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 representative a microcosm. of yeah, it's a microcosm of 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 society, especially here in Minnesota, you know, and with everything that's going on, you know, with the barbecue Beckys and all that. It really it makes it hard. You become self conscious in these spaces because you don't want to be the black person to cut up and end up, up on YouTube. And, yeah, and and or you know, but then again, you still have to deal with the passive aggressiveness, the, you know, the the side eyes and the looks and all that good stuff. But I mean, once you once the music starts, it's a it's pretty much it's a wrap. I mean, you know. so so why is it you know because when I was really you know getting myself together and you know. In school, especially when I was at USC, you know, groom, grooming myself to, you know, get into the profession. Um, you know, of course, I, most of my, my classmates, colleagues were white. Um, but for you, you know, your, your collegiate experience musically is so different, but it's like that's where it cuts off in, in, in that pipeline. You know, you just, you're done with the music at that point. You have the pipeline in the in the black communities that lead you to these you know sublime musical experiences in college uh with the with the marching bands and all that i mean think about the drum majors for a minute i mean oh, yeah. that's some choreography that's oh, that's yeah. art you know but that's where it ends unless you you know somehow go on to be one of those band directors you know high school or collegiately but on the other side, you know, me at my schools um and my programs you know mostly white people sitting around me you know, there were so many different options made available, um, you know, set before us. I, I didn't even really think about becoming an orchestral musician professionally um, until later down the line because there were so many other things. You could teach. You could um, be someone who uh, works as a liaison with 
schools. I guess it was a lot of education focus, but um, you know, there I, I even had it in my experience to know of people or groups to go solo, you know, like I, I knew who Imani Wins was yeah. in high school, you know, so and I thought that was cool and something that it would be incredible to do. Um, now I'm in radio, you know, that was something that just was presented to me. You know, my, my point is, on the non-HBCU sides, uh, the, so many different options are laid before you, and I just don't think it's right that it's, it does, it's not there on the other side. I think it depends on where you went to school at. Because, yes, um, I'm not saying all HBCU yeah, programs, like, like music when, programs. When are I was trash. when I was at Langston, we didn't have. It was either you were or you were a music education major, or you couldn't major in music. There wasn't even a, a minor option. But then you know you go to Howard and they have you know Howard has a, has a, has a really good you know they have things going on there, um, or you go to, you know even Fam or Bethune you know. Where it might, or it might be an option. I know, I know a few people who've graduated from these 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 HBCUs and they're still performing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying yeah. that it's not possible, yeah. but I'm saying but it's it's harder, it, or it's not. It's the path isn't as clear. You know what I mean? So, um, I mean, I almost gave up after college. So I almost stopped playing. But yeah, but you're still going. You're still playing. I see your Instagram videos and stuff. You know, I, well for me, music it, it, it's just a tool. It, I like to learn. So you know, if I can keep my brain going. You know, I mean, do you ever see it? Do you, do you ever see a reality in which you're kind of doing that as your main thing? I wish. I mean, I I think about it. Um, I've actually considered going back to school. I just don't know how I pay for it, but I I thought about it. You know, like talking to my friend Nikki out in D.C. You know, she went to Peabody, and she keeps telling me, well, you know, there are these programs you can do, and you know. It, it, it's always a thought because I, I clock into work every day and I'm like, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to be here? My mind is always somewhere else when I'm at work. So, yeah. When, when you're at your jobby job, my your job, day job. Yeah, my, yeah at, at the jobby job. That's it's it, my, my brain is always somewhere else. You know, shout out to everybody just working a job because that's a big part of being a musician. I remember um, when I was in college, I took a, a job interview at, at some restaurant and he uh, looked at my resume and saw that, you know, I was studying music and uh, he, he was trying to make a joke, but it was true. I sat down at the interview and he goes, well, I see you're a music major, so I'm sure you have service industry, uh, industry experience. Wow. <laughs> I don't know, he's trying to flame a little bit, but I'm, it's true. You know, all, you know, I mean, shoot, most of the folks I were around, you know, we were working while we were in school I and mean, even while we were working in music. If you think about the, the, the term starving artist... But there's, see, I was never going to be one. Yeah, but you get, but there's there's always some truth to that because there's there are always those people out there where it's like the music is pretty much all they have. They're trying to support themselves, you know. They work three jobs and they and they and they gig. You know, they're playing and they're teaching and doing all these things. But I'm not. I, I decided that I was not going to be a starving artist, which meant you know there were times when I was playing in an orchestra, like for real, for real, and. Um, you know, on the radio and bartending, you know, when I was down in Knoxville and I, mean, I was driving myself crazy, but you know, I just, I wasn't going, I wasn't going to let music be blamed for, you know, any financial trouble in my life. You know, I was just going to be on top of that. Well, that's why, that's why I grin and bear it. I go to work every day because I know I have, you know, I have, I have my, I have a steady paycheck. You know, but I can go home and practice, or if if I decide, you know, I want a gig, or if I want to record, I can do all these things. But I have, you know, I have a steady, you know, a, I have that peace of mind that I have a paycheck. But then that paycheck also get, you know, it's like, what do you do to get that paycheck? Sometimes because there are look, I work in customer service, and I want to cuss people out on the phone all day. Long. There, there should be, you know, how the military has purple stars. There yeah. should be that for the service industry because some of the stuff that like straight up like. I'm not talking about being a bartender, waiting tables. I'm talking about working at the department store. Like, those people put up with some stuff because people are nuts. I've started, I've started to watch the public freakouts on YouTube. They, <laughs> they tickle me. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it with real life, IRL, as well, they it's, say. It's not, even, it's not even, I talk on the phone all day. So when you talk to people about oh. dishwashers and chemicals. Oh, it seems like they, they wild out a little more on the uh, phone. You call on a Saturday. What can I do for you on a Saturday? It's, it's a yeah. Saturday. Like. But, you know, musicians have to work 
a lot of the time outside of music to maintain, you yeah. know, and um, what I mean, if we didn't have to do that? I you mean, know, I'm, you know, I'm great now. But in you know, other but, countries, you know, like you go over to Europe, there are people who that's their thing. Music is their thing. Yeah. But then again, even even in Asia, you know, from childhood, and there's there are discussions about the ethics of that. But mm-hmm. from childhood, being raised up and but they also treated like in Europe, music, you know, the arts are treated differently than they are here. Yeah, you know, here it's get a job, go and then don't even talk about the complications of like the different communities. You yeah, know, different and demographics. So, but here it's you know it, they're not appreciated. Think about you know. In the, in the in the you know back in the day in the thirties and forties when black when black artists would leave here and go over there yeah because Josephine they were, Baker all those yeah people. they would because they, they were appreciated and they would stay you know it's not you know it's like somebody asks you to come play right hey can you come play this this gig yeah for exposure you saw yeah. what I put on Instagram yeah and drink tickets <laughs> exposure yeah like I you don't you don't know how many gigs I play for drink tickets. That's a drink tickets. That's a shame. And, you had me almost about to cuss. And I don't even drink when when I'm on a gig. I don't drink. Of course. So I give the tickets away. Well, I, I shouldn't say of course. A lot of the greats were doing more than drinking. Yeah, Duke Ellington, all them people. Well, you know, I don't know. If I it mean, was him for me, specific. I Y'all just know. I know if you know, I can't. I don't want to. You know. Be it, a, anyway, I, it, anyway, the, the, the point is they're not writing a check. Yeah, and that's but but they expect that though. Like you know, oh, you're just the entertainment, but. If we ask them to go to their job, would never. If but free, can you come into work and just you know we'll we'll pay you, we'll pay you in um in, in a we'll give you a free lunch every day. But I don't know if I really didn't. if I played a free gig, I was actively playing it as a gift and not for yeah. exposure. Blah blah blah. I mean, but maybe that's I'm sure you're talking about jazz or. Well, no, I got I just recently got asked to play uh, an engagement party, and. She had, lady asked me, you know, well, how much do you charge? And I told her it wasn't a lot. It was like seventy five bucks for how long? Like an hour. Okay, I mean, yeah. I mean, you want me? To, you want me to come up with come, basically come up with a playlist, and then you want me to learn something? Well, 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 that's why you need to. Well, I would suggest just having something in your pocket. Like if I had to do a recital next month. There's there's just some things that I will always just be able to. Well, yeah, and, and and I mean I had look I got all kinds I have things I can pull from. Yeah, but when you want me to learn something like. But know, anyway, you told her seventy five dollars, yeah, and, like, and, and she I, never and called I you back. Never heard back. Wait, so then I got then I get a call on the day of. I'm with my kid. I'm like I'm not. No, you you had two weeks to let me know something. You asked me what my what, how much I was charging. I told you. <clears throat> I'm sorry. And never heard anything back, but it's like you expect. It's that. just like the art isn't respected. Yeah, but it, but you're you're not gonna not pay the caterer or the DJ. You know, I'm not that. I'm I'm just not there. You know, I can look. I can make music at home all I want, and it's great. And it's I, great. I, I do it all the time. Exactly. I don't have so I don't have to leave the house. I don't have to spend you know burn gas. I, so you get what I'm saying. Okay. All right. Well, let me let me tell you this. I, let me. I, I put a million dollars on the table. Okay. There are not actually a million dollars yeah, on the yeah. table, but I, I, wish. <laughs> I put a million dollars on the table. Are you going to become a full time musician? Is that what's going to happen? Well, I mean, is, is that the barrier? If my it's like my 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 need like I have bills. I have car. I have rent. I got a car note. I have insurance. A million dollars gonna take care of all but of yeah, that for, that, yeah, for but, oh, that's years. Uh, no, not even, you know, you know. If you, yeah, if if you wrote a check right now, yeah, it's and a wrap. And, and it, it's a wrap. Like it's music wrap. would be. Oh, music. Yeah, I'd be at home. Look, it'd be. I get. Look, I'd be. I, all I would do is create. That's all I would do. That's all. I would, but I don't have the. You know that. That's the. That's the pipe dream. That's the ultimate. That's the goal. You know. So so. What do we have to do to break down that barrier between music and the life we we have to live? I mean, I think when people there, there people do people make it, you know. Yeah, they do, but it's it's so hard. I yeah. mean, I've been in bands around town. I mean, there was a time. So you're it's not like you know you're a scrub. You are playing. Yeah, yeah like there was a time when I gigged almost every weekend. We were rehearsed on Sundays, but then we might play two we might play two gigs in a week. And they were, I'll never forget, we played at the Acadia over um, right off the, with the West, West Bank in U of M, University yeah. of Minnesota. We got six bucks. This was an eight-piece band. We six, got six, six bucks. Six dollars. Yes. 
we played another gig downtown St. Paul, and they gave our they gave the you know like the our drummer who who ran the band a check. It equaled out to like five six bucks a person. We're like, let's keep it. What? So I'm I've been there. I get I. That's what I'm saying. Like I'm at the age now where I don't need to. I don't need to gig. Like if you call if me, that's what it is. Yeah, if that's what it is, I don't need it. You know, I can I can go home and and practice all I want, do what I want to do, and not have to worry about. Okay, I just spent more in gas than I did than than I than I made, and it shouldn't be like that. You know, because the first thing I'll ask you, would well, you draw a car? Do you draw a crowd? We played. <laughs> I played a gig one night. The the power went out. There was there was a big storm, and we played over over south of Minneapolis. And I'll never forget. They had like this big two hundred some year old tree, trunk about as wide as this door, and it swaying in the wind. And the power goes out. We wait two hours. They go get generators and all kinds of stuff. Plug us up. We played basically by candlelight that night. <laughs> but he said that he couldn't pay us because he couldn't charge people at the door because the power was out. But it was it was a lot. There was a nice crowd, and they were still selling. But you're still selling beer and alcohol. But we can't get paid. So I mean, I think once we once musicians are like we've had enough of this mess. So, so the musicians need to. Oh, you, you're putting some onus on the musicians. They need to stop yeah. playing these free gigs. Yeah. They need like, to let a, let people I'm not, know. I'm not 17. I don't need. I don't need to come play. Like, but that's what they're gonna do. They're, they're just gonna get the niece. So the whoever who's 16, 17, you know. Yeah, and, but, and I'm sure but they can when play they sound terrible. Well, yes, I, I hear you, but I, I I don't know if it's not a little dangerous to say that. This is on the musicians. I mean, I'm not, I, I, I'm not I, saying I that, it, that it's you. on musicians. I'm saying that if we got together and decided, you know what, we, we've had enough of this, and you just and you just turn you and you started turning gigs down that you knew weren't benefiting you in any way. You get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I mean, what do I? If if you want me and I and I've had gigs. So then the same gig I told you about. That I never heard back from the lady. Do we, do you need a sound system? So so then say I say I would have had to lug all that equipment, right? Sound system, instruments, mics, all that, and then and then you you then so seventy five bucks is a is a big deal to you. Uh huh. You know that's that's all I'm saying. I just feel like if we, it's like when you see NBA players strike. You know, professional athletes go on strike, right? Because they feel like I put my body on the line. You can pay me. And then there's some concessions made. I feel like if musicians were like, you know what, I'm not doing that, then I think things might change. But I'm not. You, but I'm you, not. but you are getting some legit. Like not everybody is clowning you, right? Yeah, I mean, not, no, not everybody clowns. But I just feel like, like, and, I, and and mind you, I haven't really been. I haven't gigged like I used to. Like I, I kind of stepped away from it. Um, but when I was doing it, there were times like I got, you know, I got this summer. I played a couple gigs, you know. Well, like, we got to get you back. I'm working on that, man. I'm working on that. Okay, so if 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 somebody, well, so first of all, what instruments or, or or what are you available and able to well, do? Right now, it's, it's it's sax and French horn. So that's those are the two that. Okay, I so sax on. and French horn. Yeah. If someone wants to give you a sax or French horn gig, how can they get a hold of you? Don't Your laugh. Instagram. My or Instagram is right now. It's, it's hug life fourteen. Ain't nothing wrong. Hug Life hug 14. Life. I agree. We got to hug, hug, hug you know, Life. You know where it came from? Um, you ever watch the Boondocks? Of course. Okay. So, Riley had the tattoo. Oh, hug Life. Oh. Well, he, had a, he had the tattoo, but when he took a shower, it said, it said Thug Blood. Yeah. But then we took the shower, it said Hug Boo. <laughs> so so you did hug, yeah, I life. Did hug life, but 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 I I kind of like that on the feel good side yeah, of the hug yeah. hug life, you know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Instagram at hug life fourteen. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much. This was great. Oh, we're done already. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually hug life nineteen fourteen. So if you're interested in contacting or booking Mr. Marion Dooley, that's how you can uh, find him. Instagram hug life nineteen fourteen. That's got to be one of the most inventive 
handles for Instagram that I've heard yeah, up very, to date. It's, it's very clever. When I uh, when I sat down and had that chat with Marion, you hadn't yet met him, but you have uh, met Marion now. In so, the meantime, yeah. Yeah, so it, so uh, I, I'm sure you uh, enjoy getting a, an even more real life perspective on some of the stories that he that he told, particularly being paid in meal tickets. That's some that's some ish, ain't it? That's <laughs> a dra- I I was blown away by that part, and plus, you know, just uh, what he went through to feel comfortable in various spaces well you know he's he's a great friend of mine and um and we're gonna have uh many more conversations uh in the future on and and uh off mic um but you want to talk about opus two yeah so uh next week um, you're going to get to hear the interview um, I did um, with the hosts of a podcast called Classically Black. This is the uh, first in a set of three interviews that I conducted while in Detroit at the annual uh, Sphinx Conference. And uh, we'll tell you a little bit more about that uh, next week. Be sure to come back for Opus 2 of Triloquy. See y'all. Bye.